0: WellnessCoach.com. streaming wellness into your lives.
1: Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce.
2: Welcome to 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. Marcus Pierce here with you before we go to a very special live recording of 100 Not Out, recently done at the first ever edition of 100 Not Out Unplugged, a live event with Damien and myself. Now, you'll find find out pretty quickly that the audio on this podcast is not the best. It was a difficult situation in the room that we were in, but bear with it. You will get the hang of it. There's some incredible content in this podcast. Really hope you enjoy it. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook and uh, enjoy this podcast of 100 Not Out. Welcome to 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. My name is Marcus Pierce, and here I am with the Greek god himself. He is Dr. <laughs> Daniel Christoph, great man. Welcome along, Marcus
3: Pierce. It's great to be here with you in uh, in Milano's Brighton, um, in front of an incredibly inspiring and inspired crowd at our 100 Not on Out live event. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how
2: good is this? This is amazing. I love a live event. <laughs> it's our first ever live recording 100 night out. You've done it on the Wellness Guys at the Wellness Summit for four yes. or five years. Yeah, you've been wanting to do it though, haven't you? I'm thinking that maybe we'll do 100 night out in the summer this year. Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll see What's how it goes. Well? that like? <laughs> Keep the secret. We have an incredible group of human beings with us tonight. Mm-hmm. And it's no. been uh, a lot of fun. We've shared a lot of wisdom from Ikaria. You and I have been having so many conversations amongst ourselves yeah. going, when do we get to talk to everyone else about this? That's true. And um, it's been an incredible night with wonderful people. And we thought we would do our live Q&A on 100 Not Out. And you know what? I told you this. The, the, the very first person who is going to ask a question Jason. is one of my best mates. I have known Jacob since I was, what's the one line? I to a grasshopper or something? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah. I have known Jacob since that long. And um, Jacob, I think, I think Jacob was my, well, what's the person you have at your graduation. No, not your graduation. What's it called, Mum? Your sponsor. Your Confirmation. It was the confirmation. Your confirmation. Good (laughs) Catholic family. Jacob was the sponsor at my confirmation. When you got slapped. Yep. Jacob, (laughs) I don't know what that means, but Jacob was (laughs) one of my groomsmen. Jacob was one of my groomsmen at my wedding. What, really? Yep. Nice. Yep. I have known Jacob for well, probably my whole entire life. So everybody, for the very first question, let's welcome Jacob Blackmore to the man?
0: Thank you. I've learned a lot from this man here. He's a phenomenal person. Um, what I'd like to discuss with you, um also with you after your adventures in Greece. Um, I've actually, because my wife's a doctor. And just going through the research, and it's all about being scientific-based mm-hmm. evidence. Um, and we were we were constantly looking and reading all about, you know, fat you know, high-fat diets um, with you know, low carbohydrates and um, moderate protein. And recently, I'm sort of onto the Michael Mosley um, Mediterranean diet. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. So he's a big advocate of the Mediterranean diet. Yes. And I I think what everyone's trying to understand is you know. A lot of this is about family and about enjoying good times and being in the moment and embracing food and just enjoying instead of just worrying about the concept of what I'm going to put in my mouth, if this is healthy or not. But from what I've seen here tonight is actually the more I actually listen to you and see the pictures, the Mediterranean diet is probably is what science is actually putting now is the best diet that you could actually have. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what sort of I'm really interested in as well because everything I'm reading now is all about the Mediterranean diet. So in about longevity, I think, you know, we're seeing it right here now. That's, um, you know, and I'd just like to get your thoughts on what what way and what are you actually seeing and understanding about their diets and also about the Mediterranean diet than all these other diets that are thrown in front of us and saying, this you have to try this, you've got to go that way, this way and that way. So it's, it is confusing. But I guess if we can just simplify it a bit more, I think that's probably the best way to do it. Nice. Great question. Um, An question.
3: Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I just want to say that I'm really glad you asked that question because
1: it's part of tonight's
3: talk that we didn't really get stuck into. And, and one of the things that I've noticed is that many people are jumping on a bandwagon of a particular diet. And um, I told a story last night uh, when we were in Sharaba uh, in uh, New Wollandong of uh, a, a person that I had been adjusting in my practice, who had itchy eyelids, and uh, and so I wasn't adjusting for his itchy eyelids, but he had itchy eyelids. <laughs> so I spent yeah, the hours the same and I said, "Mate, you've got really dry skin." And he said, "Yeah, I've got really dry skin." And, and he's an Irish guy, and I said, "And and, and you know what else you notice? i have got dry skin all over me. I've got X all over my body, and my eyelids are really itchy." I said, what have you started doing with your diet? He said, I've gone paleo. I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. And I said, how paleo have you gone? He said, well, I have coconut oil here, I have coconut flour here, I have coconut chips here, I have coconut water here, I've got coconut everything, right? And I said, but aren't you Irish? And he said, yes. And I said, well, where in your genealogy did your great, 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 great grandparents ever see a coconut tree? And he said, I don't think they've ever seen
1: much.
3: And I said, well, what makes you think that your body will have evolved to include so much coconut into your diet when, in fact, you're probably better off suited to having potatoes or, uh, you know, or more potatoes or cabbage, you know, you know, root vegetables? And so, Jacob, you raise a really interesting point because science only catches up to stuff that gets flagged. But what they won't ever be able to catch up on is the uniqueness of every single individual in this room. And what's great for you, Jacob, will be different for me. And what's great for Cara will be different to Valentina. And so finding our unique in program is that's the trick. But you have to look at your genealogy. And I know that I mentioned this flippantly before, and I just mentioned the blood type diet. But the blood type diet actually talks about our evolution. And so we've evolved into different blood types. If you look at where the blood types originated, they originated in different cultures through the world. Because we're interbreeding now with different cultures throughout the world, we're getting uh, different uh, gene pools coming together. And we're now getting A-type blood people breeding with B-type blood people and B-type blood people breeding with O-type blood people. We're getting AB. We're starting to see this splicing of all these different genomes and genetics um, and we're getting different, I suppose you, you now can use some sexy terms around like SNPs. And We can start to understand now that we need to almost do a specific eating program for ourselves. But what the research is saying is that the only, the only you know real thing that we find that's consistent is that five tablespoons of olive oil, which is the consist- is the one thing that comes from the Mediterranean diet, will decrease the risk of heart disease. That's what they've found in the Mediterranean diet: five tablespoons of olive oil. Now, there's people in this room that their calorie intake from oils should not exceed 10% because they're not good fat, fat metabolizers. But there's other people in this room, and they're most likely going to people with O-type blood, that will require somewhere between 30 and 40% of their calories coming from fat. So the Mediterranean diet that's been adapted for the genes is probably going to be the most important thing that we can consider. But I can tell you now, Jacob, that the Okinawans have never, ever seen the Mediterranean diet, and they're living as long as the Ecodigians. And what's really fascinating about this is that it's more the culture and the engagement and the purpose and, um, and the sense of community that actually keeps these people alive in the actual diet. The diet will decrease the risk of disease, but it's not going to help us live longer. So in your search for finding what's the best diet for you, I'll go in as far as finding out what your genes say to understand how um, evolved you are or how ancient your genotype is. Don't get so bogged down that you get stuck in the minutiae that if you don't take this supplement, you could trigger this disease to start taking, you know, something. But understand how you metabolise things, how you methylate things, understand, you know, where you could intervene and what you're prepared to intervene with. But your diet will be unique to you. And I think that's really important. Science won't catch up on that ever because you we can't do a double blood receptor control study on one person. That's why chiropractic can't be proven. Same deal. That's why they say we're non-scientific. But we're not. Thank you. Thank you. Great question,
1: Jackie. Mm-hmm. next. One. I was just going to add to that because I've had my genome done. Yeah. And the Mediterranean diet does not suit me. Oh. Like I, if I had too much, I shouldn't drink red wine That's or have thing. olive oil. Yeah.
3: yeah. Right. Bad. There you go. So what was what were you told then? Mm,
1: fish and gin. Right. <laughs> and vegetables. So
3: if I was to go really simply at that and I was to consider, you know, what that would be from a blood type specific, you know, um, perspective, that would be more of an A-type blood approach.
1: Mm, How except like,
3: Yeah, that's what I was saying. However, what we've found is because of this cross-breeding is that A-type traits are coming through the O-type blood people. And so your uniqueness is now no longer what an O-type blood person should be doing but because you've gone into the genome, you've found out that you've picked up some more of the less primitive genes, and so you're more evolved. You need to eat more like an A-type blood person than an O-type blood person. This is the ability that we've got now to look at the genome and the genes. It helps us be more specific. And so this is why one diet doesn't fit all. Really? So I couldn't just say, and like my wife Emma, she's not supposed to have much fat. I'm meant to have heaps of fat. So Jackson and I are pouring oil all over our food, and she's only supposed to have about a teaspoon three times a day. So she has less than 5% of her total calories supposed to be coming from the back. Why? Because she doesn't go well
2: with it. Mm. We try. Yep. Alright, our, our second question. I'm sorry, young lady. Right. Uh, Gemma. Gemma, Gemma, right. Gemma
1: nice. come on up. here, him <laughs> really interested in what you were saying uh, earlier about routine versus rhythm. Now, I've, I, I was born in Sardinia so I grew up basically it's in my genes to have a lot of rhythm but when I was four we immigrated to Australia and so I was brought up with a lot of routine and now I find myself when I go back home, when I go back to Sardinia and, and look at my relatives and see the lives that they lead they are so relaxed. Yeah. They they don't worry about if it's if it's summer and it's hot. They go to the beach. They don't go to work. Yeah, yeah. um, and things yeah. will be okay. They're just so stress free. They're relaxed. They have dinner at eight o'clock. If you e- eat, you eat. E- if you, you don't finish, it's fine. So how them? I guess I work a corporate life, so I am absolutely controlled by routine. I have meetings that start at eight and they finish at five, and you know you barely get get a chance to even. Breathe. So, how can I introduce rhythm and teach others around me how to introduce rhythm in a corporate way, in a corporate life, so that we can relax a little bit more? Oh, Great right question. Great
2: question. Yeah. thank you. I really want to know. I'm, I really want to know you want. To know. I knew you were going to
1: come. To <laughs> I, want
2: to, I want to give my answer, but Dame, but Dame's wife, Amber. Is same as everyone lives the corporate lot. Um, my 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 I have a question for you. Is that are you a manager? Do you have a team of people? Yes, where you, So so in that do you to a point get to set the culture and the framework within they uh, that they operate within? Um,
1: to a point.
2: To a point. So it, here's the deal. When you have to when you when you're at work and you have meetings, those meetings need to be had. It's like dropping the kids up at school at 8:40. Okay. There's consequences if they don't get done. The consequences of not having dinner at 8 o'clock at night aren't really that severe. So my view is with rhythm, the consequences of of the rhythm going longer than, say, what the routine says it should are never really that severe, if that makes sense. So with rhythm, it's no worries. If you go to bed 20 minutes later, it's okay. But if you miss the school bus, there's consequences. So my view is, and I don't have a massive corporate background, but my view is there will be times within that 9 to 5 framework where you would focus and encourage people to go through their work with more rhythm. And then there are other times where it's really important that they focus on routine. Mm-hmm. I think you've got to look at both sides of the coin. Nice. So PC. So, um...
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> having a deep because I want Okay, so I'm thinking as as, we, as Marcus was talking and Jamie asked that question, I'm thinking of some of the corporations around the world that have uh, integrated play into the workplace um, and when we integrate play back into our life we are able to diffuse stress and we get back into rhythm because play is what children do to maintain rhythm and when we stop playing we're in trouble so to create the play back in your work means that uh, you need buy-in from the CEO um, are you the CEO? <laughs> okay. so I know with my wife that she's you know at the corporate level um, she she Makes the decisions from an HR perspective, but in order to change the whole culture um, of a corporation that has 86,000 employees, it's very, very different. It's very difficult. So, in a smaller organization that could still be considered corporate, you can implement some of the strategies that places like Google or places like Apple have implemented, which involves play and rest and pods and timeout and checking out uh, and making that okay. And, uh, and so, those sorts of um, lifestyle things it could be brought into the workplace by easily. However, an amazing thing to do would be to disengage all of your employees from work as soon as the clock strikes five or six. So they now no longer have access to their work emails. They now no longer um, have to answer the phone after hours. They now no longer um, are part of work and, in fact, they're encouraged to go and play or go and do things, and they're rewarded of being disengaged from work when they're not in work. Yeah. Um, and, and that would be amazing. Yeah. That would be absolutely amazing.
1: Because we're currently, we've been sold, I guess, the dream of globalism. Yeah. So, and we've and we've got opportunity now to work with our peers all over the world, which is terrific. Okay. So now I get meetings um, between six and nine o'clock at night. Yeah. Which is, wow. which is oh. great. Wow. But, <laughs> well, it's great in the sense that right. you're connecting with people you know, around the globe, and you've got a you've got a bigger community, if you like. Yeah. But you know, the next day is are still at work. So yeah. all of a sudden, you are you are stretching, and yeah. all of a sudden, you, you want to have a rhythm, but you you kind of got routine. This is the part of corporate isn't it?
3: So the part and of corporate is that um, in a global sense, particularly if you've got a a, a multinational role. Where you're involved in decisions, or part of those decisions from overseas, involve your role here in Australia, is that you've got to be available in multiple time zones. Um, so it's not too bad if it's you know say New Zealand because that's not they're not too far away. But if you're talking Europe or we're talking America, like that, that can really flip into your lifestyle. And so th- this is my thing, and I and I, I do bite heads with Amber about this uh, because in previous roles that she's had. It's involved multiple time zones, 16 different locations in 10 different countries um, that she's been responsible for. And it's been very, very challenging to our home life. And so we've had to make rules around disengaging at certain points of the, of the night and different different times of the weekend um, so that we can just get back into play uh, because it's the play that actually brings back out the life. And, um, and so if you can encourage that play time again, that'd be great. Not exercise, play
2: time. Yeah. Last word. Brad right. That's so good. Um, Cara, our third and final question on 100 and Round of applause for Cara.
4: Thanks, guys, for sharing everything with us tonight. It's been um, fantastic and it's brought back some wonderful memories of my time in Greece and Italy in particular in the past. Uh, Seeing so much around the community and with the food sharing and preparation. I just wondered if um, you came across anything in your travels or whether you've had any thoughts about people who live alone. So they're preparing food alone, they're shopping alone, they're eating alone majority of the time. We have a lot of, um, you know, I certainly see a lot of elderly people through my work who they have very poor diets and they have very poor social lives. They can't be bothered cooking. They can't be, you know, bothered doing all that. There's also, you know, lots of young people around. Um, similar thing, they're leading very rushed lives, so they're you know eating on the run, etc. In and out. But I just sort of wondered what your thoughts were, and if anything did come up around your travels around for the people who prepare and eat alone, as opposed to in the big in the big groups and as the part of the village. Thank
0: you. Yeah, great question.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm really big on this. I'm really doing this. In fact, I sat with one person who uh, who lives alone, and my suggestion to that person was to start to invite people over to the house, uh, to engage more people and create a community of people that you love and that love you that you can surround yourself with. So you have to be the master of your destiny. So you invite people into your home. If you don't feel like your home is the place where you want it to entertain, then you need to create that place that you can entertain. That's really important. Now. If you're working shift work or you're working different hours, there's still other people that work shift work and work different hours and live different lifestyles. And you need to bring people into your lifestyle and create your community. One of our great friends, Lawrence Tan, talks about you know, finding and building a tribe and, and surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded. And Marcus talks about the same thing as well. This isn't a community that just started, you know, they didn't just, I mean, these guys probably did just land in the community, but at one point, that community had to start to grow. And, you know, from little things, big things grow. And when people do invite people into their home, all of a sudden there's more invitations out in other people's homes and that community gets to grow. Um, And, you know, everyone and I were talking earlier on about getting back into churches and getting back into that social. I don't necessarily think that we need to get back into, and I'm just going to put this out there, not everyone's going to resonate with religion, but getting back into the community that is provided by a church or by the group. And church means congregation. Uh, you know, surrounding ourselves with a congregation is, is hugely beneficial. The trick to cooking and living alone is to service yourself and treat yourself as if you would want to treat other people. So when I lived alone in New Zealand and I, lived, I moved to New Zealand for five years, and Jackson stayed here in Australia, and Amber was over here, within long distance. I cooked unbelievably gourmet meals because I wanted to feel special with the food that I was eating because I felt like I deserved it. And, uh, and so it was there that I learned to cook beautiful food because prior to moving to New Zealand, I wasn't a really good cook. But now I'm a really good cook and I love it and I love cooking for people. So uh, there's one thing that I took to New Zealand it's cooking.
1: So, <laughs> thank, you. thank you, New
3: Zealand. But, no, I love and, and I loved everything that I got from New Zealand. Um, but you have to learn to love yourself enough that you would cook amazing meals for you every single time. And then you're not going to settle for second best the best, fifth best, best, or one best. It's always going to be amazing for you.
2: Mm-hmm. I might just um, add to that is that I think we, we must remember the energising factor of socialising. If you're tired and you socialise, you feel better. Yeah. Um, if you're busy and you've been working hard and hard, if you finish work and go and socialise, you will finish the day beautifully. If you can create the accountability of socialising, you have almost developed the secret to living, in my view, because we have made socialising a luxury <coughs> item. A bit like that one line of spirituality has become a luxury item uh, for people. Socialising has become a luxury item. It's not It's not an optional extra. It's an actually It's an essential to living a fulfilling life, what they would call a fundamental. It must be part of our life if we're going to live a truly fulfilled life. But in this day and age, people find it hard And they find that their time poor. But the only person that can change it is you. It takes leadership. Socialising requires leadership these days. We just don't get the phone calls that we used to. Damo said it beautifully earlier. We don't go to as many parties as we used to. We just don't go to as many parties as we used to. People don't celebrate their birthdays as much. So the thing, the way to make it happen is we have to be the leader.
3: Yeah. We have to do it. Like I said last night, that, you know, who's the one person that is the most important to you? you. And so you can't expect anybody else to do more for you than what you would do for you. Uh, and so you, that, that's part of where the invitation comes from. You know, you need to invite yourself to dinner and then uh, invite other people to share that with you.
2: Yeah. Well, it's been another wonderful episode of 100 Not Out. Thanks nice for the live audience. Give yourselves a round. Of applause. <laughs> more about 100 now, go to thewellnesscouch.com. Check out all 22 podcasts on The Wellness Couch. If you haven't joined us uh, and registered for the summit yet, make sure you go to thewellnesscouch.com. September 10 and 11 at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. Love to have you there. And uh, Damien and nice. everyone here, until next time, continue to make the rest of your life the best of your life.